All right, so as I mentioned a few times, I mentioned the group me this week, we are starting a brand new series tonight in the book of Hebrews. It's called By Faith, and the reason for that is because, because if you glance through this 11th chapter of Hebrews, you're going to see that phrase all the time. I, I took a little bit of time a few weeks ago, and I actually underlined in my Bible every time in chapter 11 that the word by faith or through faith, which is the same word in Greek, by faith comes up in this chapter, and it is 20 times. 20 times in one chapter, we see the words by faith. 20 times that that phrase is used as a way of driving home the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make in this passage. So simply put, the author is trying to drive home that faith is a mighty thing. It's a mighty thing that God uses in the life of a believer. It's a spiritual concept. Faith is a spiritual concept that has very real, very physical realities in our life. Faith should shape us. It should inspire us. Faith should cause us to act and bring about a security and assurance in our lives that can only come from God. Faith is something that doesn't just exist in the, the lives of those who come after Jesus died on the cross, right? It's not, it's not like a couple thousand years ago, Jesus died on the cross, and then all of a sudden faith uh, just happened to start existing into the world. It's been around since the beginning of time, this concept and idea of faith. And in Hebrews 11, we see what is called the hall of faith, or the, the hall, or the great cloud of witnesses it's called, but the, the hall of faith is like a really common theological term for this chapter. And that is because it's a list of many of the saints of the Old Testament who, by faith, saw God work mightily in their lives. And by faith, here's just some of the things it says in the chapter. By faith, they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, they were made strong out of weakness, they became mighty in war, they put foreign armies to flight, and so many more things that we're going to see in this chapter. And through their faith, they were commended, meaning they were honored by God. Now, they did not all receive what they were promised. All the people that we're going to study in this series, they did not all receive what God had promised them. We're not saying that because they had faith, they lived a, what like we would define as a prosperous life. We're not saying that faith led to uh, earthly prosperity. But it does say that these people, they were honored by God. They were honored by God and their lives now exist to show us. Their lives exist to show us that there's something better than just receiving promises of this world. That there's something better in life, and that is the ultimate promise of Jesus. So I, I told you to turn to Hebrews 11. I'm going to pull a quick one on you and just go over one page or flip over one spot in your phone, right, to the next chapter, to Hebrews chapter 12. Because in order for us to understand what we're doing this semester, we need to see where we're going. If you want to have an idea of all that's going to happen, we need to see where the end goal is. And our desire as a, as a leadership, every spring semester of this ministry, is to show you uh, the value, to show you the richness, to show you the importance of the Old Testament. We want to show you uh, how the Old Testament is a, a valid part of the Christian 
life and how it demands to be read. Like the Old Testament demands to be read in order to have a fullness in your discipleship and an understanding of God. And Hebrews 11 is is a perfect springboard to do that, right? As we go through it, we're going to go through the Old Testament in Hebrews 11, but it's the beginning of Hebrews 12 that shows us why we should go through it in the first place. So Hebrews 12 is setting up this why. Just look at the, the first two verses there. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, meaning because of everything listed in Hebrews 11. That's what, when you see therefore, you need to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? So, therefore, meaning because of everything the author said in Hebrews 11, which we're going to be studying, all the saints of old, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's the the men and women that are listed in Hebrews 11. So, since we're surrounded by them, let us also, so on top of, alongside them, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of what? Of our faith. So all the people that we're about to read about in Hebrews 11, like the whole purpose that the author of Hebrews wrote this in in Hebrews 11 is that we would turn our eyes to Jesus. The Old Testament should inspire us to deepen our relationship with Christ and not just deepen it, but that the Hebrew, the, the saints in Hebrews 11 should cause us to have this endurance, this endurance uh, for the race that is set before us. And that's why like this graphic for by faith is exactly what it is. That's why there's a runner who's looking down a road and he's not seeing the finish line. And he's not, he's not seeing the end goal. The, the road just sort of seems to go on into nothingness. In fact, he can see uh, mountains ahead of him. I don't know, like, depending on where you're born, maybe some of you call those hills. But, you know, here in Iowa, those are most certainly mountains. You can see the mountains that are, are ahead of him, and he has no idea exactly how far he's going to run, right? Can you imagine having that in front of you? The reason we have that is because the commitment is to run with endurance until you reach the end. So three, three years ago now, I, was, I can't believe it's been this long, but three years ago, um, I got like super into running, right? And if you guys know me, I get like really into things for a while. Um, I'm still sort of into it, but I'm, I'm re- I was really into it at that point. Um, so much so that I ran a half marathon, right? So 13.1 miles, if you don't know what that is. And when I started out three years ago... Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't even run like one mile without stopping and walking, right? Which is, uh, you know, probably where I'm at at this point, honestly. But there are a few things that helped me with running that, that half marathon, the 13.1 miles. One was motivational videos and music. Any of you have like pump up things you watch, like music or videos, like you watch that and that gets you pumped up for the day or for whatever you're about to do. Like that was me as I was getting ready to, to run every single morning. I, I had these motivational videos and music that got me excited to run. I know some of you are just like puking in your brains right now because you're like the idea of being excited to run. But trust me, it gets you there and it gets you excited to do that and, and to be facing a challenge that your body has never gone through before, right? Like, okay, when I run seven miles today, it will literally be the longest I've ever ran. And every step will be one step further than I've ever taken before when it comes to running. Like, that got me excited. 
The second thing I had was community. A community of other runners and small group members of the church, like my small group guys, we were foolish. We all signed up together to run this half marathon. None of us were running at that point, so we all said, hey, why not? We've got six months. We'll train. It's fine. Um, one of them did make it with me, by the way. We, we managed to do it together. But a small group uh, of members from our church that were going to be running with me. They were encouraging me. We were sharing things together, coming alongside one another, going through pain together. Lots of things there. And, and the third thing that got me through it was the wisdom from those who had done it before. I was able to uh, ask people who had done it for training plans, for tips, for experience, to help me prevent injury, to help me continue growing and going to the point where I was actually able to run 13.1 miles in just a little over two hours. But it took all of those things. And why do I bring this up? I bring it up because the people that are found in Hebrews 11 that we're about to, to read through over the next several weeks, they're just like those things that kept me going for the half marathon. Right? They, they helped, like those things helped me run the race set before me with endurance. And the saints found in Hebrews 11, they're meant to one motivate us. They, they motivate us with their stories of faith. They are a motivation. Two, they're meant to be a community for us to lean on, right? They are the community, the people of God, and we can lean on their stories as a way of support as we run our own races of faith. And three, they show us what has been done before so that we can glean wisdom from that. We can look back at times in which saints of old have had faith and we can learn what it takes to also go through that because they went before us. So that's a, that's a reason to think through why we've got this runner here when we're talking about Hebrews 11 because they are the things that will encourage us in our own faith. So with that said, that's the series Here's what we're looking at tonight. I titled the message, Defining Faith. And I titled it for two reasons. I want it to, I want it to have two meanings. One, we will be defining what faith means tonight, right? We will give a definition of faith that you can come back to. But two, we will be seeing how faith defines us, how it is a defining faith. So look at Hebrews 11 with me as we work through these first three verses together. We're in the first three verses tonight. Let me read it, and then we'll get into each one of the points. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, there's the first one, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So, so the first point when defining faith, what it means is that faith provides certainty. If we want to look at what something means, we can see the implications of it and deduce the meaning of it. Like faith provides certainty. Certainty, And we see that in verse 1. If we break it down, we actually see two very specific ways. Two ways in just this very first verse that we see that faith provides certainty. And the first one is this. Certainty of the things to come. Faith provides certainty of the things to come. We see this in the very first part of the verse when it defines faith as 
the assurance of things hoped for. Like when things are hoped for, they're anticipated. It means they haven't come yet, right? Like you don't hope for something that you already have. Like for example, as a married man, I should not sit here and hope for a wife. That would make absolutely zero sense. The Lord has already provided that. That's why we know when it says hoped for, it, it, it's the things to come. They haven't been provided yet. So that, that's pretty easy to understand, right? That's, that's the, um, probably the, the simpler part of that first half of the line. But I want to talk for a minute about the word assurance. Assurance doesn't pop up too often in our normal vocabulary. I mean, maybe a little more if you were raised as a, in the, the Christian world, right? Singing things like blessed assurance. And, um, you know, thing, the, the word assurance really falls within the, the culture of the church. And I, I want to talk about it because I think we need to make a very clear distinction of what it means. I want to I know and I want to talk about how there's a difference between objective assurance and subjective assurance. Objective and subjective. Because drawing that line here makes all the difference to understanding what faith in this passage means. So let me just give you the definition. Objective means not influenced by personal feelings or opinions or, or sense, right? It's so, like an easy way to think about it is something's objective. It's the object that matters, right? The object is on its own. It stands alone. It is true. It is unaffected by us. That is an objective thing. We often think of objective things like facts, right? Facts are true no matter what we think about it. Like that is objective. But subjective is exactly the opposite. Like the definition is to be based on or influenced by our personal feelings or our opinions. So an easy way to think about that is that the object is subject to you. It is controlled by you. It is under you. You control how it is viewed, right? That would be something that is subjective. So when the author of Hebrews is saying faith is the assurance of things hoped for, what type of assurance do you think that is? Is it one dictated by emotions or your sense or like your taste in things? Or is it one dictated and, and by objective truth? Well, in reality, it's sort of both, right? Because one does affect the other when we talk about those things. But here's where we should land. The author is clearly stating here that faith is an objective certainty. Of things to come. It is a, a true certainty, a factual thing of things to come. It is factual. It's unchanged by our feelings. In fact, not only is it unchanged by our feelings, but it should be the things that controls our feelings. Like our, our feelings are inspired by it. They don't define it, right? So the, the author of Hebrews is not saying faith is the feeling we get when, when we are going to get what we hope for. I think you guys can probably resonate with this. It's, it's, like, um, it's like getting a Christmas present from someone who asks, uh, the, the, asked you the things that you like, right? You guys ever have anyone like that? Like they ask you what you like and then you sort of give them a list or you tell them specifically if, of something that you might want. Like we told them we like something, so we hope that we are going to get it. 
And because we hope that we are going to get it, that, that brings about a happiness. And maybe even, maybe even some certainty, because we think we might know this person and what they're going to do, but really, it's mostly subjective, right? It's not based on any actual facts. It's based on some occurrence that might happen, but you can really make whatever you want out of that based on how you feel, right? Like you'd be like, well, that person asked, but they're just not the type of person that's actually going to do anything, for me, they're not actually going to fulfill that or like they just don't understand what I like or, you know, you've always got that person that buys you the wrong color or something, right? Um, so like you can understand how there might be situations in which it's mostly just emotional assurance that happens from something like that. But that's, that's not the type of faith we're talking about in this passage. It's not the type of hope. Like in this passage, the assurance that we have comes from the idea of having a cold, hard, factual truth. Like, back to the, you know, the, the Christmas analogy. Like, I, I'm saying it's, it's a truth even if we can't see it. But back to this Christmas analogy. Um, it'd be like telling someone that you like something, but also seeing the receipt that they bought it on Amazon three minutes after you told them that you wanted it, and you see the box arrive on the door, and them even saying when they grab the box, oh, your present has arrived. I can't wait for you to see it. Now, until that present is in your hands and open, you can't like say with 100% certainty that you're going to receive that, that gift, right? But what kind of hope is that? Like what kind of assurance does that give you when, when you're thinking through that? Because you do have evidence of that gift, right? You have promises of that gift. You have reasons for that hope to be given. Like there are objective reasons. You have facts that you can point to that lead you to believe with almost certainty that those are going to happen, that you are going to receive that. And so because of those factual reasons, your influence, your emotions are influenced, right? Like you're not reading into it. You're not uh, bending it to whatever way you want, you are going based on the facts, the multiple facts that you have seen. Now, I promise I'm going to tie all this together in a minute. The point is, despite what doubts might creep in, like, oh, that, that present might be for someone else, they might be playing tricks on me, uh, the doubts, the self-doubts, right? The, you know, oh, I'm, not, I'm not good enough for that. I'm, I wouldn't be able to, there's no way that I'd receive that kind of, like, despite those kinds of doubts, there are objective truths you can lean on to come back to that are not influenced by your emotions. And that's the type of faith that we're talking about here. Now, it's a cheap illustration for me to talk about Christmas gifts, right? Like, what I'm talking about here is far greater and far deeper than somebody buying you a present for a holiday. But that's the type of faith that we're talking about. Faith is having a certainty based on what you've seen and what you've experienced that causes you to have an assurance and hope that is unwavering. Like, it's your emotions forming around objective truths rather than your emotions being the truth. And the author of Hebrews, over the next several weeks, is going to support this idea over and over again by showing us examples of men who put their faith in God and had faith because all they had seen God do. Had faith because of all that they knew that God was. These truths that will never change based on what they feel. They had these things that will always be the way that they are. And based on those things, they had an assurance and a certainty 
of who God is and what he would do. That caused them to hope for the future. So as we dive into this series, that's going to be a major theme that we see, is having an assurance of the hope that is coming at, spoiler alert, the day of Jesus. Right? Having a hope and looking forward to the day that Jesus is coming. So in verse 1 here, we see that faith is not only the certainty of things to come, but it's the certainty of things that have been. Now we're going to hit this one more in verse 3 in just a couple of minutes, so I, I won't get to all of it right now. But what we see here in the second part of verse 1 is that the faith that faith is the certainty of things that have been. That's what it means when it says right there in the scripture that uh, faith is the conviction of things unseen. Meaning you are convicted. When we say convicted, we mean like cause to belief, cause to action. You are convicted by the things that have occurred in the past even when you have not seen them with your own eyes. That is the type of faith that the Hebrews author is talking about. The faith that you have to believe in the things that have occurred in the past, even if your own eyes have not seen them. So faith is also the certainty that God has worked in the past. It's the certainty you get when you read Scripture, knowing that he was certainly working in the lives of everyone that's written of here, even if you weren't an eyewitness account. And, and Jesus speaks to this type of faith. He says it in John 20, 29, when he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is blessing those of, of true faith. He's blessing the true faith of those who have conviction over the things that they haven't seen occur. And we are going to see the author of Hebrews accent that as well through the next several weeks. Like if, those are our two major understandings of, of the things that, that the author of Hebrews is talking about when he talks about faith. Like we're going to see both people looking towards the future because they know all that God has done and people trusting in the past because they know who God is, even if they haven't seen it. We're going to see both of those play out and then we're going to see how all those relate to our walk with Christ. And us also trusting for the future and trusting for what has happened in the past. So like I said, we're going to get to more of that in verse 3. So let me like wrap it up to give you as much clarity as I can. Because I know I've thrown out a lot of analogies and illustrations. Let me give you as much clarity as I can. Faith is having objective certainty. Right? Objective certainty of the things to come and the things that have been. Things that are more than just your emotions. So it's having objective certainty of the things to come, the things that have been, even if you can't see them. And it's that certainty that leads us to this emotional assurance. It's that certainty that causes us to act. It's that certainty that gives us peace. It's that certainty that gives us endurance. Just like the, the runner. So that's the first part of our definition of faith, but... Faith means even more than, than just that. Like even in our modern day language, you know, faith has like multiple facets of meaning. Like you can have faith that something will happen, but then we also talk about how you can have a faith that saves you, right? You can have saving faith. And that's actually our second point for tonight is that faith provides salvation. 
It provides certainty, and it's faith that provides salvation. Look at verse 2 again there. It says, For by it, meaning faith, for by it the people of old received their commendation. So the people that we're talking about in, in Hebrews 11, he's about to list all of them. He's, he's saying the people of old, and then he's about to list a ton of them. They received their commendation. The key word here to understand is commendation. So the root word in English here is, is to commend. Like you commend somebody, you praise them, you, you honor them for something. If you receive a commendation, that would be like to receive an award, right? Or an award that often involves praise. But in the biblical instance, the idea of like commending someone in this passage is to say they were approved by God. Other translations will literally use the word approved. That, so that was the commendation of the people of old. All the people were about to study is that they were approved by God. The truest sense of the biblical word is that by faith, the people of old received a good testimonial from God. Right? They, they received an awesome testimony that glorifies the Lord. They were given that. They were awarded that. They were commended for it and accepted by God. God spoke of them in his word. And he approved of not only their actions, but he approved of them. And we'll see later in this passage that when it says commended, like approved by God, like verse 4, it says they were commended as righteous. So like they're approved by God as righteous people. Like verse 5 we'll read, they were commended as having pleased God. So all that to say like their faith, the faith that they had, it pleased God. It granted them approval and the same is true for us today like our faith grants us approval from God like not only in the sense of pleasing God right not like this earning his favor through the actions we take of faith that's not what I'm talking about what I mean is that we earn approval by God by him approving us as righteous, like it says in verse 4. This is in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Just listen to it. I'm going to read it over you. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, so by God's act of giving us a gift we didn't deserve, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. So our faith is given to us by God. Our faith is given to us by God so that through our faith we would please God and we would be approved by God. He gives us the ultimate approval though. Right? It's not just a commendation. It's not like he just wrote well of us in, in a passage is that nowadays we understand that by faith we're given the ultimate approval of receiving salvation to be sons and daughters of God, the Lord Most High. That is our salvation. And acting out our faith, acting it out, is a way of us showing that we are already approved by God. We are pleasing him in the act of doing it. And so that's, that's what we're talking about next week. If you want to know what we're talking about next week, we're going to talk about pleasing God, how to please God, what it even means to please God, and, and what are our acts and our works mean about pleasing God. Like, we'll, we'll discuss all that. That's what we're going to be going through. And what we're going to see throughout the course of the series are examples of how the saints of old should cause us to turn our eyes to Jesus 
to be reminded of that salvation that we have, to be reminded of the grace through faith that we have, we'll be reminded time and time again that not only does faith provide certainty, but it provides salvation. And I'll tell you, like, after we read through this, we're going to be thanking Jesus for that salvation time and time again as we look at these Old Testament characters. All right, last one. This one's super quick. The last thing we see in verse 3 here is, is that faith provides a worldview. This is the last uh, point. It's pretty simple. By faith, looking at verse 3 there, so by faith, we understand that everything existed, right? That's when we understand the universe was created by the word of God. That's what it means. Like everything that existed and was made from nothing. That's what that line means. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the author is saying that by faith, we understand that everything that's existed was made out of nothing. And God is one that did that. That's God's job. He did that. And this, like, this resonates a little bit with our point from earlier, right? Like faith is certainty in the things that have been and that we haven't seen. That's what it's talking about here in verse 3. It's understanding that the whole world was created by God. Like none of us were there at creation. None of us saw that happen. But it's by faith that we understand that that did happen. It's by faith that we come to read this and we accept that what it says in here is true about what God did and how he made the world and the purpose for everything that he made. And, and so what should that do? If we have that understanding and that's given to us by faith, if we have the faith to understand that, what should it do? It should shape our worldview. It should change the way that we view everything. It should change the way that we interact with one another. It should change the way that we think about the world. It should change the way that we take care of the world around us. It should take, like, change the way that we think of the eternal souls that exist around us that need salvation. Like, if we have the faith to understand what's happened in the past, it will shape literally everything we do. It'll shape who you decide to marry. It'll shape who you decide to vote for. It'll shape who, what, what restaurant you decide to go to can sometimes be decided by the faith that you have. It can literally change anything and does change everything. It, it's, it's the thing. I don't know how you got here tonight. I don't know what brought you here, but it's the thing that brought you here. Because it's the thing that led to this building being created. It's the thing that led to our pastor to plant this church. It's the thing that led me here to speak to you right now. The idea of of faith and what it is, it provides a worldview, a way that we look at the entire world. So that's that's what faith is, right? And that that actually brings us full circle, this idea that it's, it's everything. Because we didn't only need a definition of faith, we needed to understand that faith defines us. That it is a defining faith. And so I, uh, I'll, just, I'll, be, I'll be straight up with you. I hate the first message of every series because it's always the one that you have to just expound, a whole bunch of info, right? You have to get a whole bunch of things set up so that every week when you come back, you can just sort of pluck what was in the past, right, and talk about it. So I'm telling you, if you manage to stick it out with me tonight, giving you a whole bunch of definitions, a whole bunch of explanations, um, we're set up for the next, like, 11 weeks. 11 weeks? Nine weeks. We're set up for the next nine weeks to really talk about all the things that happens with faith 
and how the Lord used Noah and Cain and Abel and Abraham and, and all of these people, how their faith will inspire us to turn our eyes towards Jesus. So stick it out with me. I'd love to see you guys here throughout the semester as we turn our eyes to Jesus and see that by faith, the saints of old did the same. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that we get a chance to be together. Lord, I thank you that your word is mighty. I thank you that even when messages are filled with lots of explanations and lots of definitions, that your word still moves in power. Your spirit still moves in power. I thank you, Lord, for those gathered here tonight. Lord, I am uh, amazed how you just continue to sustain this ministry like you do. I pray for great conversations, great fellowship building, great community. I pray that it would all be glorifying to you. I pray that it would build up one another. I pray for new friendships to be formed tonight through the semester. Lord, I pray that through all of that, each and every one of us would grow to love you more, to trust you more, to love you more, to follow your commands more, all as a result to, to glorify you more. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.